Well, last week, we started a series of five questions. And I just want to remind us again, as Christians, these questions seem like no-brainers. We, we believe that there's obvious answers to all of them. But I believe, personally, as we look into the questions that non-believers ask, but I believe all human beings ask these questions because it's something inside of us that causes us to ask these questions. To one, there's this uniqueness to being a human being that we think and we wonder and we ask and we want to understand. So I think the answers to these questions, even if you've never discovered what the answers are, maybe you've never sought the need to ask, but they will build our faith. The foundation of our faith will become stronger. And as important, or maybe even more important, I believe that we will be asked these questions more and more and more as the world continues to look more and more intensely for answers to life's questions as the world around us is falling apart. As all of the things that, that used to be stable, supposedly stable in our lives, are, the foundations are all being shaken. The people, are, people are looking for answers that bring some sort of stability, bring a hope, bring a confidence to their life. And I believe these questions are the right questions. And I believe the answers, no matter where it is we look for information or facts, evidence, no matter where it is we look, I believe ultimately all of the answers and the evidence we find out here in the natural world will drive people to the only place where the real answers truly are, and that's the Word of God. And that's our ultimate goal. Because all of the natural evidence is great, and God tells us there's lots of it but it will point to the truth and the true creator. And I believe that. Last week we looked, what is the meaning of life? And we discovered primarily from the word of God. So what we did last week really was we presumed that there is a God. And we presumed that it's the God that created us in his image. And we presumed that he's the God of the Bible. So we made some presumptions there. And we discovered from his word, and even when the Pharisees and the religious people asked him, Lord, what is the greatest commandment of all the commandments? And if we wanted to paraphrase that to a Jew, that would have been like asking, what is the most important thing? What is the meaning of life? And Jesus answered this simply, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Relationship with the Father. And he went on and said, and love your neighbor as yourself. So when Jesus was asked the question from a Pharisee, a religious Jew, the Jewish people, his chosen nation, and they said, what's the most important thing? What is the meaning of life? What is the most important command? That's what he said. It's relationship. You and I, the meaning of our lives is relationship with the Father, God, with the Holy Spirit with Jesus, and with others. That's the meaning of life. But we assumed there's a God. So today's question is, does God really exist? And I believe there's an overwhelming amount of evidence to support a positive answer to that question. But even as I go into trying to show us some evidence and bring us to a reasonable place of understanding and belief that we take that step of faith, It will also lead to the next question in this series of questions is, there is a God, but is he the God of the Bible, or do all religions lead to God? 
Is that not a common theme, a common question in our culture today? All the religions of the world, it's okay, they all lead to God. We'll see if that's true. The question, does God exist? I believe it's a fundamental question of life. Because until we can answer that question, all these other questions we have about our existence can't be answered. Things like, where did we come from? Why are we here? Do I have any intrinsic value just because I am me? Because I am a human being? Because I am a person? We ask these questions, you know, what, what, what's my purpose? Is there life after death? What happens when we die? You know, if there is no God, guess what? Those questions are meaningless. It doesn't matter. The answer is no. There's nothing. Nothing is of importance. Nothing of his value. We just are here. We just exist. This philosoph- philosophical belief of nihilism. Nothing matters. We have no purpose. Nothing we do matters. It doesn't even matter that you exist. Nothing. It's called Depression 101. But that's the reality. If he doesn't exist, it doesn't matter. Life after death, what's it matter? We're nothing anyway. So the question is critically important. Does he exist? And to answer it fairly and intellectually honestly, we have to understand that there are philosophical uh, predispositions or biases that we have. For example, if, you, if someone asks you that question, and their philo- philosophical predisposition, their bias is this, that there is nothing that exists outside of the natural. There is nothing that exists outside of matter, energy, space, and time. There's nothing that exists. Therefore, no matter what evidence we give of God's existence, it's pointless. doesn't work. So the predisposition that we come with makes a difference. Now, can the Holy Spirit break through that if someone comes at you with that predisposition? Absolutely. But it's going to be hard. However, if we come, if a person comes with a neutral philosophy, saying, you know what, I'm open. Tell me. Give me evidence that there's this thing called God that exists. If they come from a neutral position, they say, I will weigh the evidence. I will weigh the evidence from a neutral position and where, wherever the evidence is and comes from and whichever side it lines up on, when there is enough evidence, I will make a reasonable decision based on the evidence. If they come from that position, they will discover that they end up in the Word of God. And I believe that. That's why I think it's important that we look at some of the evidence. So when that person comes to us, we can share the evidence in a way that the Lord can use to change their mind. What we're looking for in the answer, and really this is what we're looking for in the answer, the ability to make a reasonable decision based on the evidence. Because, and I hope this doesn't discourage you, there is no way that we can prove 100% certainty that God exists. The good news is, there is no way with 100% certainty that anybody can prove that God does not exist. 100% certainty. I'm not sure if that exists in really anything. 
but it certainly does not exist here. So what are we looking at? It's not a matter of scientific method coming to 100% certainty. It's a matter of like what we would call the historical judicial way of testing something. Let's gather the evidence. Gather it all. And let's look at it all. Let's weigh it out. Let's test it. And we will come to a place where we can make a decision beyond a reasonable doubt. And the Word of God and His existence can withstand the most intensive looking, the most intensive inspection, the most intensive analysis that anybody can give it. So we should welcome it if you come with an open mind and an open bias. Think about this for a second. The Bible, from cover to cover, nowhere in it does it attempt to prove that there's a God. It just presumes it. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It starts with a presumption, and it's presumed throughout all of Scripture. So you're not going to find the 100% proof that he exists, because he doesn't even try to prove it. But he challenges us in so many different ways to check it out. Look around. Observe this. Look at that. He's not afraid of the challenge. Do I exist or don't I exist? If you want to know if God exists, he says, look up. Look up. You ever go outside at night and just look up on a clear night? Look at the sky. Look at the stars. Look at the planets. Look at the moon. During the day, the sun is in the sky providing all that's needed, the energy that's needed for life to exist on this place called earth. He says, look up. Look at the scriptures in Psalms 19, verses 1 through 4. It says, the heaven declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hand. Day after day, they they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. God is saying, hey, check it out. Everything that you see in the cosmos, everything you see in the universe is speaking to everybody on every corner of earth in a language they understand no matter what that language is. That's why the Bible says there is no one that has an excuse. All of mankind is without excuse. You and I with our Bible, our teaching, the tapes, the radio, all we have more knowledge We're going to be held to a higher level of accountability because of that. But there is no one in the deep, dark forest or jungle that's never seen a Bible, never heard about Jesus, who is excused from knowing that there is a creator God. Because just look up. He says, look to the heavens. Romans 1.18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain for all, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his defined nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. All men are without excuse. God says, do I exist? Look up. Look at the universe. 
It's declaring and it's speaking to the whole planet that I exist. In Psalms 19, that word there, heavens, it means in the, the things in the, invi- the visible sky, those things that abode the home of the stars, the visible universe. And in Psalms 120, or Romans 120 that we just said, the word world there is cosmos. It has many uses in the scripture. It could mean the earth. It could mean the physical earth. It means the universe, all that exists out there, the cosmos. The cosmos, the heavens declare. Bible claims that the most positive proof of God's existence is out there, his creation, all around us. Do I exist? Check it out. And it really interests me. And I know I have a, a bias. I like scientific things, only at a level I understand. I don't want to go too deep. But I think it's so interesting that this is the very area the universe, the cosmos, the creation, that scientists, physicists, all of these brilliant people, these philosophers, this is the one area that they are researching to prove that it came into existence in a natural way. Isn't that interesting? God says, look at the heavens. Man and all their brilliance and intellect says, yeah, let's do that. Let's prove this God does not exist. We can explain away everything because we have a bias that says nothing can truly create something somehow. We can explain it away. We can study. We can create theorems. We can create mathematical equations. We can create philosophies to explain the beginning of everything. And man's been trying to do that for ages. Where did the universe come from? And it's interesting to me that they go there because when science looks at nature, they look at plants, they look at animals, and if they're really brave, they look at human beings and try to come to a conclusion of where it came from. They don't want to talk about design because the design and creation is unbelievably amazing. It's beautiful. It, 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 it just screams that there has to be a designer they, they don't look at design. Let's, let's explain the heavens. Let's go back 14.7 billion years and tell people what happened. That's the length they have to go to. They don't talk about the complexity of living organisms. They don't want to talk about the complexity of human DNA. Something like 3 billion letters in a single molecule. How many molecules are we made of? And they all have to be exactly perfect for everything to work. Just think about They don't want to talk about that. I mean, something crawled out of the primordial mud after a flash of electricity. Oh, yeah, where'd the electricity come from? Where'd the mud come from? Where did time and space come from? Well, let's not talk about that. So they don't want to go there. They don't want to talk about those kinds of things. They don't want to touch up, talk about the natural laws of the universe. Where did this theory, this concept of gravity come into play? Did we just luck out that we don't all just get born and float away? No. They don't want to talk about these things because they get to a point that their answers are unreasonable. So what do they do? They go right where God says, check it out. 
I exist. Look to the heavens. A few of the theories, and I'm not going to spend much time on it, but I get a kick out of this, so indulge me. Some of these theories have pretty well been wiped away in recent history because of technology. But one of the first ones was the multiverse theory. We have a universe, but there's a mother called multiverse. And this multiverse theory is universes develop off of the multiverse like bubbles, and then they break away. And we have a new universe. Where'd the multiverse come from? It was eternal. Well, then they discovered, most scientists discovered, uh, that one doesn't work. That one doesn't work. So now we have what they call the bounce theory. Not the Big Bang, the bounce theory. What's the bounce theory? Well, the bounce theory is you have a universe, and it begins to shrink and shrink and shrink and shrink until it can no longer get more dense, and it no longer can it go, get higher in temperature, so it miraculously begins to expand and expand and expand. And something billion years again, it starts to come back and forth. It's like you're directing a choir of foolishness. Brilliant people use these things to explain what's unexplainable because they do not believe that there is something that exists outside of the physical realm, something that exists outside of time, space, matter, and energy. Makes sense. You've got to be crazy to believe that something exists out of time, space, matter, and energy. The next theory was the explosion from a black hole. Now, I'm not that smart, and I know they could blow away my sarcastic humor, probably. But I'm thinking, if nothing existed, isn't everything a black hole? That sort of makes sense to me. But somehow or other, this theory that there's this black hole, and everything that's not supposed to exist gets sucked into it. And when there's no more room, it throws it up. And here we are. 14.7 billion years later, here we are. Think about what men are trying to come up with to explain where we came from. Because it's a question that's innate in us. Whoever created us put that desire in us to know these things. Well, in recent history, because of the advances in science, technology, telescopes, ways of measuring sound waves, ways of measuring light, they've come up with the Big Bang Theory. And the Big Bang Theory makes more sense. So a lot of these other theories, they've left alone. But they come up with a Big Bang Theory. And one of the supposedly most brilliant minds of our era, our time, is a man named Stephen Hawking's. Hawking's. Stephen Hawking's. This brilliant scientist, physicist, winner of Nobel Prizes. And he has come to this dramatic conclusion, and he uses the Big Bang Theory, His dramatic conclusion is this. Where did everything come from? Nothing. I just won the debate. Nothing. It came from nothing. Well, I have a philosophy that I've really had reinforced recently in all the reading. Nothing creates nothing by nothing for nothing into infinity. Aren't I brilliant? Nothing created something. Stephen Hawking's Nobel Prize winner. He believes in the Big Bang Theory. The Big Bang Theory basically is simply this. There was a particle. 
we got a little problem because that's the particle that had to come into existence from nothing. And they claim all this science that there's these tiny, 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 and I can stand here for six days telling you how tiny it is because there's that many, you know, to the umpteenth power, how small it is. Smaller than an atom, smaller than a proton, neutron, or electron, and now we get into these really, 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 and they just exist. And some of them came together one day, and something happened. It was so dense, so hot, that it exploded. The Big Bang. And they're, they're, they're convinced that there's a Big Bang theory because they've been able to measure the universe is expanding. And it's a scientific fact. They've measured. It's expanding. Logic would tell you that if something is expanding, if you could go back in time far enough, because we know how fast it's expanding, we could get to the origin of the universe. There's also science out there that says, boy, a big bang like that must have made one heck of a noise. Well, if it made one heck of a noise, there should still be sound out there. And there is. So they, again, let's go back in time, use our science and mathematics and physics and bring it back. And that's where I've come up with this number I've thrown out. They've decided a Big Bang took place approximately 14.7 billion years ago. Now, I have no idea if there was even a Big Bang. But they have proven beyond a reasonable doubt because of the scientific data that the universe is expanding and therefore it had a beginning. The universe had a beginning. Where, how, when did that beginning occur? It's interesting when you come at something with such a bias and we should all be cautioned about what we're really certain of sometimes because of our biases. But the brilliance of science to come up with the Big Bang Theory has to deny two of the basic laws of physics, the laws of thermodynamics. Now, I know most of you could give a rip, but these laws make perfect sense, and their theory violates both of the first two. The first law of thermodynamics is this, and this is paraphrased so Mike could understand it, Energy cannot be created and it cannot be destroyed. It can only be transferred from one form to another. A basic law of thermodynamics, a basic law of physics. And they all know it's true. But now they're saying, well, not maybe. Back there once upon a time when there was no energy, there was no time, there was no space, there was no matter. And then one day there was. Law two of the law of thermodynamics is this. Left to itself, everything moves from order to disorder. Entropy. You know, the example. You could pick a million examples. But it's like if I had a box of toothpicks, and I threw all the toothpicks around the room, and I set the box right here, and we said, watch them come back. They're going to come back, crawl in that box, and they're going to get in perfect order, nice little stacks, and it's going to all fit in that box. How many of us know that that would not happen? How many of you know if there was a corpse, this is a little gross, but if I dropped dead up here and you said, well, that's okay, 
He'll, he'll come back to life all by himself. And as my corpse is decaying, rotting, you can go from there in your own imagination. How long do you think we'd have to wait till all of a sudden it started reversing and all these little things, you know, came back and I got up and said, ta-da, <laughs> here I am. We look at that and say, that's just idiotic. But the most brilliant minds, supposedly, brilliant, darkened minds, believe these things. So is there something that's more reasonable? I love this quote. Don't put it up there right away, Dylan. I'll tell you when to put it up there, okay? The first half of the quote, this is from an astronomer by the name of Robert Jastrow, a famous astronomer. And in his book, he wrote a book called God and the Astronomers. And he said this first, consider the enormity of the problem. Science has proven that the universe exploded into being at a certain moment. It asks, what cause produced this effect? Who or what put matter, put the matter and energy into the universe? Science can't answer these questions. Go ahead and put it up. The rest of his quote is this. For the scientist who has lived by his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountain of ignorance, and he's about to conquer the highest peak, and he pulls himself over the final rock, and he is greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. (laughs) Really, that's what it would take. They're trying to explain all of this, and those who are Christians, I believe, have a much more reasonable explanation right here. And we've known it since Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There is something called the Kalam cosmological argument. How many of you are just loving this science class so far? One or two, praise God. (laughs) You don't have to be really a brainiac to say this is what it is. It simply has three parts. It says, whatever begins to exist has a cause. In other words, whatever comes into existence, something caused it to come into existence. Science has proven all by themselves that the universe exists. How many of you knew that? (laughs) Therefore, the universe has a cause. Something caused the universe. So what caused the universe? When we ask the cause question, one of the videos we watched in the class uh, Wednesday night, they used this term, the infinite uh, regress of cause. You ever been in one of those situations where you kind of want to be a smart aleck and somebody tells you something like, wow, that's a great tree. Oh, yeah, where'd that tree come from? Well, it came from the ground. Oh, really? Where'd the ground come from? Well, it's filled with matter and minerals and moisture. Oh, yeah, really? Where'd the minerals and the moisture come from? Cause, cause, cause. You can get into that infinite cause, but guess what? Eventually, you're stumped. Is there anything that happens or exists without a cause? That's... What we as Christians believe, but 
Do we have any evidence of that? Do we have any evidence that there is a non-physical component to life? If we say we believe in this God, how many of you have seen him up close and personal? Not many. Ever taste him? Ever smell him? Ever touch him? Now, we as Christians can come with all things we've experienced. That's awesome. And it is evidence. But most skeptics are not going to go with that one, are they? So my question is, is there any evidence that we could give or present to somebody that there is a non-physical component to life? Is there something that lives outside of or existed outside of time, space, matter, and energy that caused the universe to come into existence? Man, for that to be true, there would have to be something out there that's awfully powerful, awfully intelligent, something that was timeless or eternal. There would have to be something that's creativity is unmatched, somebody whose intelligence is unmatched. This non-living entity would have to be all of those things. Can you give me any evidence that that can possibly exist? The answer is yes. Look at your neighbor. Go ahead, do it. There's the evidence. You and I, as children of God who have been born again, have a non-limiting component to us, and so do the unbelievers. It's called the soul. You cannot biologically find my will if you dissect me for a hundred years. You cannot find the spirit that's within me. You can't find it. Where is the emotions located? Can we just go in and rip them out? There is a soul aspect in every single one of us that exists. What makes something beautiful? It's the way I process it, the way I think, the way, the way it's something in me is triggered. What's that something that's triggered? I don't know what it is, but I know what it is. Man, do I love that lady sitting right there. Why? Find it in me. I don't know why. Well, it's obvious. But <laughs> you can't find it. There is a non-physical component to human beings. And guess what? Why should we be surprised? Doesn't the Bible say we have been created in the image of God? And the image of God in us is the non-living component. I don't believe he's got arms and legs and a nose like mine. Praise God. We are created in his image. What part of us? The non-living component. We are evidence that something exists outside of the natural, physical realm. And in Christianity, we call that God. An eternal, timeless God. A creative, intelligent designer. The complexity of which we can't even begin to comprehend. We call it God. Which is a more reasonable explanation that this entity we call God, like the component in us that is non-living, it's non, non, not non-living, non-physical. It's not matter. It's not energy. It doesn't take up space. It's timeless. Yet it exists. Would we all say it exists? Don't we know that it's part of us? 
and is created in the image of God, and that's who he is. He is timeless and eternal, all-powerful, omnipotent, omnipresent God. That's who he is. We don't need blind faith. I don't even like blind faith because we can wreck your blind faith real easy. But if you have an intelligent face, faith based on reasonable information, we come to a reasonable conclusion, faith. I trust those things which appear to be reasonably true because of the evidence. God exists. Yeah, how do you make the universe? I don't know exactly, but let me tell you this. Let's take a look at the Bible and then look around. A few, few scriptures I'm going to read quickly. Isaiah 45, verse 12. It is I who made the earth and created mankind upon it. My own hands stretched out the heavens, and I marshaled the starry hosts. I'm going to read some of these scriptures to you, and you're going to hear that word stretched out. And in a number of the scriptures, it is, in the the Greek tense, it's a present tense word, meaning I stretched out and continue to stretch out. Amazing. The science is finally figuring out some of the Bible. Isaiah 48, 13, My own hand laid the foundation of the earth. My right hand spread out the heavens. And when I summon them, they all stand up together. The heavens, all that exists out there, including earth. Jeremiah 10, 12, But God made the earth by his power. He founded the world by his wisdom and stretched out the heavens by his understanding, his wisdom, his understanding, his intellect. I mean, it's all laid out there for us. But it takes a being, the universe. This, is, this sounds like a philosophy guy talking And you know I'm not that. The universe needed an uncaused cause to exist. Think about that. Mike's lost it. The universe needs an uncaused cause. In other words, we get to that place where there has to be something that's always been because it lives outside of the physical, natural realm to cause the universe to come into existence. Hebrews 11.3, by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. If there was a big bang, it's when God said, let there be. And bang, it be. Okay? (laughs) If there was a big bang, that was it. And he spread out the universe and he continues to spread it out even till today. What an amazing God. What an amazing book he has given us to explain life, to answer the questions that are unanswerable to the natural mind. He does not have a natural mind. And he has given us that non-physical component in our lives to help us to understand and relate to him. We relate to him through that non-physical component that is created in his image. Isn't it an amazing, amazing plan when you start to look at this? Can our faith, you know, if, if we're straddling the fence and saying, well, sort of, maybe not, yes, not today, maybe tomorrow. I mean, our faith is like a yo-yo. I hope today you walk away from here and say, my faith is on a firm foundation. God exists, and he created me in his image. And guess what? 
I can do all things through Christ. I can do all things. Why? The living, almighty, omnipotent God lives in me. It's mind-boggling. Look around. Psalms 104 says, He set the earth on its foundation, and it can never be moved. Golly, even the tilt of the earth is, it has to be perfect. We wouldn't exist. Isaiah 40, verse 12, He's measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, or with the breath of his hand marked off the heavens, who has held the dust of the earth in a basket, and weighed the mountains on scales and the hills in a balance. Man, he's an amazing God. To do all those things, we often say, how big is he? I say, do you know what infinite means? There is no limit. He lives outside of what we use to define and explain everything. He lives outside of time, space, energy, and matter. He's everywhere. That's how big he is. Science has got, I just love science. (laughs) Can you tell? But science has discovered there are a number... Here's the phrase they use. The fine-tuning of Earth, in particular, and fine-tuning of the universe in general. They call it fine-tuning. And when the book I was looking at listed this or started talking about it, it said there are 75 things that they refer to as the fine-tuning. And I'm certain there's more now. For example, if the earth were one degree closer to the sun, we would fry. If it was one degree further from the sun, we would freeze to death. If the moon were closer to the earth or larger than it is, the tides would be so dramatic it would wash away the shorelines, the coastlines around the world. And if the moon was smaller or further away, there would not be enough tide that biological life and nutrients in the ocean would be stirred enough so the ocean would die. If the surface gravity of the earth was stronger, it would retain way too much ammonia and methane. And how many of you know you don't live on that? But if it was any weaker, the earth's atmosphere would lose its water. And I believe we're 90-some percent water. If the earth's crust was any thicker, it would absorb way too much oxygen. There wouldn't be enough for us to survive. If it were any thinner, the volcanic and tectonic activity would be make life on earth as we know it impossible. The de- <laughs> You'll love this one. How many of you just hate science? You're going to love this one. If the decay, ra- decay rate of a proton, am I lost you yet? If the decay rate of a proton were any faster, we would die from radiation. Nuclear explosion, radiation. If the proton decayed any faster, it would kill us. If it was any slower, there wouldn't be enough matter for life on the earth. You get the point, right? I have not got all 75 written down. Go ahead and say amen. (laughs) Scientists have identified more than 75 of these things, and if any one of them was out of place, any one of them wasn't there and existing exactly like it was, there'd be no earth, there'd be no life on earth. They call it fine-tuning. I call it God. He's arranged everything perfectly. And the one I could and should probably spend the most time on, but I'm not going to, the greatest evidence that there is a God is Jesus Christ. 
The evidence that Jesus existed and walked on the earth, if we were in a court of law, the opponents would lose the case and get thrown out of court. There is so much evidence that he existed. And when we think about this man who existed, he changed the world from the day he was born till the day he died, was raised again, and ascended to heaven. And for those of us that are Christians, we know he's still changing the world, right? When has there been a man who's walked on water without some kind of gimmick and illusion? Where is a man who just walked around healing anybody that came to him? Where is a man who just spoke and the seas calmed, the wind stopped blowing? Wouldn't you like to be able to do that on certain days? There has been none. This Jesus who we talk about. The impact that he's had on the world, the way he lived his life, his death and resurrection have shamed, shaped human history. They've changed lives and it's healed souls ever since. As a matter of fact, honestly, if we were going to come to a reasonable conclusion, we would come to the very same conclusion a centurion came to that was standing at the foot of the cross when Jesus was dying, who looked up and said, surely this is the Son of God. The evidence was so overwhelming. Surely, if we look at the evidence as, as, as critically as we want to, we have to come to this place where they, surely Jesus had to be the Son of God. There is no human way, there is no physical way that you can explain all that he was, all that he did. I mean, when he came to earth, like all these other uh, people that religions worship, when Buddha or Muhammad, when these guys spoke, they directed all attention to the words that came out of their mouth. Take these words, live by these words, and you'll have a good life. Jesus didn't do that. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He drew people to him, not what he said. He said, I am the light in the darkness. I'm God. The best evidence that God exists is Jesus. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I don't understand this non-physical being, but I know he's loving, kind, compassionate, filled with mercy, and that he has an ability to love beyond what the physical could ever do. That's who he is. Jesus, the proof. The proof that he was divine was in everything he did. Remember when, remember when John the Baptist was having some second thoughts? The Messiah wasn't exactly how he pictured him to be. And he says to two of his disciples, would you go, go, to, this, go to Jesus and ask him, just ask him, are you the one? Are you the Messiah? Are you the one that we've been waiting for for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years? Are you the one that's come to save the world? Go ask him. What did Jesus say? If you don't believe the words I say, look at what I've done. Look at what I've done. Look at the miracles. I mean, he created food out of nothing. There is somebody that can create something out of nothing. He fed thousands with the food he created out of nothing. Jesus is still the best, the best by far evidence that God exists. But a lot of people on a search for truth aren't going to receive what you and I have for them from the Bible at that particular time. I just want to encourage you, there is so much evidence out there that there is something, there is something or somebody that exists outside of the physical realm 
that caused the physical realm to come into existence. Whatever day that was when he said in the beginning, and whatever day that was, that's when time, space, matter, and energy came into existence. The cause without a cause. That's who God is. Which brings, not us, because we know, right? It's the God of this book. But somebody you're talking to might say this to you. Well, Callie, you've made an amazing argument. If I'm going to be honest with myself intellectually and if I'm going to weigh the evidence, I have to agree. But you haven't convinced me of one thing, that he's the God of this book. Can't any religion lead me to God? That's my segue to next sermon. We know there's a God. The evidence is overwhelming. Is he the God of the Bible? Or can any other religion, as the world is trying to tell us over and over these days, doesn't matter what the religion is, we're all worshiping the same God. You and I would beg to differ. But why? Let's close in prayer. Father, I pray that whatever you've allowed me to share here this morning builds faith. God, that gives us such a confidence that you are who you say you are, that you are the omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient God, that you know all things, you are all-powerful, and you are everywhere. And God, as we look up into the sky, we see a testimony of who you are. As we look around us, we see a testimony of who you are. When we look in the Word of God, we see a testimony of who you are. And God, when we meditate on what you've done in our lives, we know who you are. God, I pray that that faith will not waver. God, when the world comes against it, I pray, God, that we will stand on the reasonable truth that you are our creator, God, that you spoke all things into being. And as amazing, powerful, creative you are, you loved us so much where you could have done it any way you wanted. You sent your son Jesus to die on a cross for us, to shed his blood for us. And did you offer each one of us the opportunity to accept his death in my place because the penalty for sin is death. He died so I don't have to. And that he rose again from the dead. He is victorious over the power of death and the power of sin. God, I pray that we, all of us, Open our hearts to the truth of what you've done. Open our hearts to the loving gift that you offer us. And that we surrender our lives to you, acknowledge our sin, confess it, and grab a hold of the truth that we are forgiven. All sin forgiven by the one who gave his life for us. God, what an amazing thing. That the creator of all that exists loves us that much. I pray that that truth changes every one of our lives, that we live our lives for your glory. Holy Spirit, continue to transform us into the image of Christ. Help us to overcome those strongholds, those areas of our life 
that are holding us back. We thank you, Father, that the war is over and we won because you won. Let us walk in victory. And I pray now, Lord, that you would watch over us, bless us, keep us safe, protect us. Give us opportunities to share the hope that's in us with those that are looking for hope. We pray this, that you'd receive all the glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen.